If you have a copy of Scripture, we're in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Acts chapter 16. Acts is in the New Testament, of course. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So fourth book of the New Testament, Acts chapter 16. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 of Acts chapter 16. I'll be reading this morning from the English Standard Version. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I've titled this message, Sovereign Crossings. Believe in it, we see the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit in dealing with Paul. Stop and think with me for a moment. Today, pastors all over will get up and preach a sermon that they have prepared. Some of them have spent hours in their preparation, some maybe not. Some will have a funny story, an evangelistic outline. Some will preach the gospel clearly, some will not. Some will use the Bible to drive the message, and some will not. This morning, all across the country, The Sunday morning service will go exactly as planned. Some won't. Some will sing three songs. Some will sing four songs. Churches will take up an offering. People will be well-dressed. There will be a prayer. There will be announcements. There will be hymns. Some will sing praise songs. Some will have special music during their service. Some people will complain that they don't like the music or that they don't like the preaching or they don't like something about the service. And some, after the pastor is done preaching the sermon, will come forward. There will be those who rededicate their lives. There will be those who receive Christ as their Savior and those that want to be baptized. People will leave church today and they will do what they do every single Sunday. Maybe it's watch a football game. Maybe it's take a nap. Who knows? The point is no one will notice a difference. It will be just another day. We will go through our week like any other week. Maybe we will come to a Wednesday evening's Bible study. Maybe we won't. 
We will pray a generalized prayer for things that God would bless missionaries or bless those in countries where there's persecution or that God would bless the starving people in Haiti or some other nation. There'll be no difference. We will do what we always do. Some of us will go shopping. We will go do the things we normally do. Maybe we will eat out at a restaurant or maybe two restaurants. We will do what we usually do, but we won't notice people. We'll just keep on going. Some of us may even share the gospel just to share the gospel because after all, the pastor keeps preaching these messages about sharing the gospel, but we will do it in such a way that we just do it. We won't even notice the person we are sharing with. We won't notice that they're not interested. In fact, most of us will go through this whole year without ever genuinely sharing the gospel with anyone. You see, church, sometimes we just fall into the motions of doing things. We just do it. It's what we always do. We don't do it in the strength of the Lord. We don't do it by, our, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we do it by our own power. It is what we always do. We know we can just power through it. Christianity has become so routine for some of us that we are dependent on the flesh to get it done and rarely dependent on the Holy Spirit to do anything. Throughout the book of Acts, we've witnessed the direction of the Holy Spirit working and moving and directing and empowering the apostles to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostles responded to the leading of the Holy Spirit time and time again. And I'd say this, that if we want to see God move today in our churches and in our people, we must respond to the directing of the Holy Spirit and we must be obedient to how he is directing us. We can be a people that just do routine Christianity, but we must understand the Holy Spirit is sovereign in his guiding and we must submit. Scripture is clear. When we read the Lord's Prayer, what does the Lord's Prayer say? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Listen, church, this has to be our priority and if you're here this morning and it's not your priority if you're here this morning and say I don't seek first the kingdom of God I would ask you right now before we even get into this message to just take a moment and pray and say God I confess that I'm not seeking your kingdom first God I submit to your sovereign guidance of the Holy Spirit Throughout this passage, I want us to notice this morning how the Holy Spirit brings Paul and his companions to these sovereign crossings and the response that we see from them. First of all, let's notice this. The Holy Spirit sovereignly leads to faithful disciples. The Holy Spirit sovereignly leads to faithful disciples disciples we see this in the beginning verses of acts chapter 16 we see where paul takes young timothy under his care he develops him and here's the thing timothy is destined to become one of the greatest servants of the early church in fact two great letters from paul are written to timothy we have them in our bible today now notice where it is that paul meets timothy it says he came to derby and lystra this is where paul had been stoned and drug out of the city Left for dead. And now there he is back again. I don't think I'd go back. If I, if I was Paul, 
I would have been like, I'm staying away from Lystra. Those guys tried to kill me. Why did he go back? Because the Holy Spirit is about to bring into his life a young man for him to mentor. And Timothy will become like a son to Paul. The sovereignty of the Holy Spirit has led Paul to young Timothy, a faithful disciple. Now, Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, Eunice and Lois, and they were both Jews who had become believers in Jesus Christ. And even though Timothy had an unbelieving Greek father, his mother and grandmother made sure that he was taught the scriptures at an early age. Most likely, his mother and grandmother and young Timothy had received Christ on Paul's first visit to Lystra. And now on Paul's second visit, Timothy is in his late teens to early 20s. And he had established amongst the people at Lystra and Iconium a good reputation, it says in verse 2. Now, here's what's important. Paul noticed Timothy. He noticed him. And folks, sometimes we have a tendency to walk through our day. And I know I've said this before, but we have a tendency to go through our day and we don't notice people. You know what I mean? We just don't really notice them. Sure, we see them, but in a general sense, we don't notice them. However, Paul said, uh, Paul saw the commitment of Timothy and he invites Timothy to join him. This is the beginning of a life-changing friendship. But notice something else. Glance down with me. At verse 10, as I'm talking about the Holy Spirit leading to faithful disciples. It's interesting. I don't know if you notice this, but in verse 10 of chapter 16, the language suddenly shifts. It says, and, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we. Who's the author of the book of Acts? Well, if you've been here, you know that Luke has wrote the book of Acts. This is the first time we see, we, it says, we sought to go to Macedonia. So Luke has now joined the team. In fact, this is the first section that we see here in Acts, um, right here in chapter 16. This is the first time that we see Luke um, uh, behind, uh, in the passage saying, we. And Luke is later left behind uh, to pastor the church at Philippi. And then it, it comes again, he says, we again in chapter 20. Luke serves with Paul. Church, the Holy Spirit sovereignly leads to faithful disciples. It would be easy as, uh, for us to say, well, well, this, this just happened by chance. But can I tell you something? Nothing is by chance with God. Amen. The Lord knows what is needed. Timothy had been already groomed by the Lord, and the Lord knows when to bring certain people into our lives. And church, we should be asking the Lord by the sovereignty of his Holy Spirit to bring faithful disciples into our lives. Young men and young women that we can encourage, that we can help in their faith, that we can groom, that we could, that we could uh, spend time with. Furthermore, we need to notice people. We need to, we need to pay attention to them. We need to see them in the stores and in the restaurants and the places that we go. We need to look into their eyes and we need to notice who they are, not just simply pass by them. We shouldn't just walk through our day in our own strength, depending on our own power to do what we always do. Oh, it's just another day. It's just another thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to go through my day like I always do. And it's my same old routine. But instead, we should be saying, Lord, what will you do today? What will you reveal to me today? Secondly, notice this. The Holy Spirit sovereignly guides ministry decisions. 
The Holy Spirit sovereignly guides ministry decisions. Look with me at verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And it says, He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, do you read that and think, what's going on? I mean, do you read that and go, well, didn't Paul just say something about not circumcising people in order to follow the law? Didn't he just say that? I mean, the Jerusalem council just gave this decision back in chapter 15, which clearly indicates that circumcision was not necessary. And now Paul's circumcising Timothy. Why is he doing this? To be clear, Timothy's mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. This was not a violation of Paul's conviction. He's not saying, oh yeah, I say this and now I'm going to go circumcise Timothy. It's not a violation of his conviction against those that were not Jewish to refrain from having to keep the ceremonial law. Timothy was considered a Jew because he was the son of a Jewish mother. But because he was uncircumcised, Timothy was technically an apostate Jew. Paul saw no need to cause a needless offense to the unbelieving Jews because Timothy was a Jew and Timothy's going to be ministering to Jews and the circumcision would allow Timothy to go with Paul and Silas into the synagogues where Paul and Silas often went to proclaim the gospel. This was a matter of Timothy becoming uh, a Jew to the Jews. Like Paul says, I become all things to all people. This is a matter of Timothy who is already a Jew, but going through with what he was supposed to do as a Jew, becoming a Jew to the Jews because he was already considered a Jew in order to reach the Jews. And the Holy Spirit sovereignly guides in ministry decisions. The Holy Spirit guides Paul to make the right decision in this ministry decision. We should always spend time seeking wisdom from the Word of God so we know where to stand and where we can compromise out of love. We should be seeking God saying, God, do I stand on this or do I compromise on this? Far too often we take a hard stance where we should yield when it comes to ministry. And we yield where we should be taking a hard stance when it comes to ministry. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to sovereignly guide us in those decisions, we know that we can honor God in them. We know that we can say, God, I'm honoring you in this decision. And so the Holy Spirit sovereignly guides in ministry decision. Thirdly, notice this. The Holy Spirit sovereignly enables His workers to strengthen His churches. The Holy Spirit sovereignly enables... His workers to strengthen His churches. As we look at verses 4 and 5, we notice that Paul and his crew made their way throughout the region telling the churches about the decrees that had come from the Jerusalem Council back in chapter 15. Now here's what's interesting. Is the Holy Spirit is the one that led the council to formulate and write the decree in the first place. Acts chapter 15 verse 28 said, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. The message was a message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Holy Spirit sovereignly enables his workers to accomplish the work that needs to be done. And as Paul and those with him are going to all the churches, he's, he's enabling them to do so. Furthermore, it says that these churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. And so as Paul is delivering this news from the Jerusalem council, they, they, they're not 
saved in keeping the law of Moses, but they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he's asking them to behave in a way that, that considers uh, the, the Jews of the day and not behave in a way that, that uh, eats meat sacrificed to idols and eating meat with blood or meat that had been strangled and keeping away from fornication. And, and uh, that was commonly a practice, as we said last week, in the pagan culture of the day. And as, as Paul is telling them this, that people are coming and the church is growing. This should teach us today that the church is strengthened when the gospel is affirmed. The church is strengthened when the gospel is affirmed. And when the people of the church are walking in love towards one another and in submission to biblical authority, the church is strengthened. What is interesting is the church was not free to take a vote on, on any of this. Did you notice that? Whether they were going to submit to the decrees of the Jerusalem Council. Do you notice that nowhere do we read in the book of Acts from chapter 15 to chapter 16. When Paul is reporting back the decision that the Jerusalem Council had made. When Paul comes in and says this is the decision that they made. We're not going to bury you with circumcision and the law. But these are the things that we're asking you to keep out of respect for your Jewish brothers. That, that are also in the church and out of respect for the lost Jewish people. This is what we're asking you to do. Do you re realize that nowhere do we read that the church gathered together and decided that they better vote on this decision? They don't do it. Why? Because they submit to biblical authority. They're, they're not free to take a vote. Because they would have understood the decree came where it came from. And it was to show love and to avoid offending lost Jews. So that those lost Jews might be saved. And so that believing Jews would not feel as though they needed to divide from the Gentile church. And they knew it was best to operate in unity and love. And so there's no need to take a vote because what is going on is, is biblical. And so they just, they submit and they say, okay, this is what we're doing. Let me transfer that over to the local church real quick. I know I've talked about this before, but within the Baptist framework of the church, at least in this church, we have, uh, if, we're, if we're talking biblical, we have one elder in the church. Now, whether I agree with that wholeheartedly or not, we, that's, that's other discussions. But we, we, we have an elder. And that the elder is to strengthen the church. And we clearly understand the gospel. And that every member should joyfully live in submission to the word of God. And we should all act in a way that we lovingly regard one another. So that we do not cause a needless offense. And if we do things that are... But, uh, if we do things in a certain way, then our church will be strong and we will increase with number because if we do things that we love one another and we follow after what we're supposed to be doing, then the church will be strengthened. So we've seen how the Holy Spirit suddenly guides to faithful disciples. The Holy Spirit guides to ministry decisions. The Holy Spirit enables his workers to strengthen his churches. Finally, let's look at this. The Holy Spirit sovereignly guides and directs his workers to the right area of ministry. The Holy Spirit sovereignly guides and directs his workers to the right area of ministry. I believe verses 6 through 10 are packed full of great practical information for us. In these verses, we see the Holy Spirit clearly guiding and directing Paul and those that are with him where they needed to go. Honestly, I read these verses, and if you are anything like me, you're kind of in awe at these verses. 
I mean, first we read that they were forbidden by the Spirit to speak. And then we read that the Spirit did not allow them to go to somewhere. And that they clearly wanted to go to this place. And that the Spirit gives Paul a vision and directs him exactly where he needs to go. And so throughout these four verses, we kind of run into these sovereign crossings of the Holy Spirit. That, that I'm going to go here and no, the Holy Spirit directs here. And, and no, I'm not gonna, you're not allowed to do this. And we, we see this going on. We see Paul and his companion crossing paths with the Holy Spirit and in some instances the Holy Spirit's actually blocking them let's look at this a little more closely and draw some things out from these verses first of all the Holy Spirit prevents from wrong ministry as we talk about the Holy Spirit directing his workers to the right area of ministry, we notice that the Holy Spirit prevents from wrong ministry. We clearly read that they went through Phrygia and Galatia and the Holy Spirit forbade them from speaking the word in Asia. Now, before we get into the Holy Spirit forbidding them from speaking the, the word, notice, first of all, that they had gone through Phrygia and Galatia. In other words, they weren't sitting there doing nothing and saying, boy, I sure wish the Holy Spirit would show up and direct us where to go. Boy, I sure wish the Holy Spirit would reveal to us what we were what we're supposed to do. I guess we better just sit here and do nothing until the Holy Spirit finally reveals to us what we're supposed to do. Church, if we do that, we're never going to do anything. Sometimes we get we get caught up in that. As believers, we do nothing because because we we want to know that that there's got to be some sort of big revelation to us. That that God has to somehow, you know, speak in the clouds and direct us to do something certain. And, and we can't sit around and do nothing. We need to be actively serving the Lord. And if we want direction, we need to be serving the Lord. you got to be doing something in order to get direction. They were already serving and the Holy Spirit then directs them. Listen, if you say you're going on vacation and you leave the car in the garage and you don't go and get into the car and go somewhere, you're not going anywhere. And we do that all the time as believers. If as a believer, you sit around and you pray, God, give me direction, and you're not serving, you're not going anywhere. So start serving somewhere and have the Holy Spirit direct you where He wants you to go. Now, as, as He's doing that, He will prevent you from wrong ministry. They were forbidden to speak in Asia which is modern-day Turkey. This is where the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation are found, including the city of Ephesus. Now, I want you to picture this. Paul is planning where to go. He's going to take the gospel where he's going to take the gospel next. And he's thinking, I'm going to go take the gospel to, to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbids him from going into Asia on that day. The Asia of that day. Not only that, but then... The Holy Spirit forbids Paul from going north, and his uh, uh, Paul and his companions headed north towards Bithynia. But when they reached Bithynia and the area of Mysia, the Spirit tells them to go no further, and so then they turn and they go to Troas. What's the deal? Doesn't the Lord want people to hear the gospel? Does He want people to come to saving faith in Him? The answer to that question is easy. Yes, he did. He does, but he didn't at that time. What we know is that the Holy Spirit is sovereign and that he stopped these men from going into these regions and instead he rerouted them to Europe. 
We have no evidence to say that God somehow saw the people of Europe were more worthy than those people of Asia or Bithynia because the gospel is not based on merit. The gospel is based on the sovereignty of God to a people that do not deserve his grace, including you and I. There are no people that are deserving of the grace of God. We don't deserve God's grace. Nobody deserves God's grace. But the gospel is based upon who he decides gets his grace. We don't. We do not know how the Holy Spirit kept the men from going to either place because the the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know uh, how the Holy Spirit kept them from going here or there. This could have been through a variety of ways. It could have been through circumstances. It could have been through lack of inner peace. It could have been through just a feeling. What we know is that Paul was stopped from going forward with his plans. How did Paul and those with him know that this was from the Holy Spirit. Do you ever ask yourself, how did they know that this was from the Holy Spirit? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't say, and the Holy Spirit audibly spoke to Paul. We don't know. There are times that Satan tries to hinder us. How do we discern between Satan hindering us and the Holy Spirit hindering you? How do you do that? Do you ever wonder that? How do I know that this is the Holy Spirit And not Satan. How do I know that this isn't Satan doing this? The answer is actually quite simple. How we know the difference. But unfortunately we don't want to do the answer. How in the world do we know that we're doing the right thing? Well we go to Galatians chapter 5. It gives us some insight. But I say walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit. You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. If we want to be led by the Spirit, then we must live by the Spirit. In other words, we must possess the fruit of the Spirit that is evidence in our lives. If you want to know what the difference is between Satan leading you and the Holy Spirit leading or Satan hindering and the Holy Spirit hindering, you have to walk with the Spirit of God. In order to walk with the Spirit of God, you have to be doing the the fruits of the Spirit, have to be evidenced in your life. And then you'll know the direction that you are supposed to go. People wonder about the will of God all the time. God's will is really quite simple. He says what his will is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what it says. How are you sanctified? By walking with the Spirit. How do you walk with the Spirit? You live out the fruit of the Spirit in your life. We make it a lot harder than it is. The Holy Spirit gives this direction. He prevents from wrong 
ministry. But also notice this. When the Holy Spirit directs, we must discern and obey. Look with me at verse 10. We read in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding. Okay, stop right there. Concluding. So Paul has seen this vision from the Macedonian man, and he's saying, come over and help us. And it says, immediately they sought to go to Macedonia because they concluded something. In other words, there was some discernment. In fact, the word concluding means to decide by reasoning. And so they came together, they reasoned together about the vision that Paul had received. And when they were sure that it was from God, and God was saying uh, what God was saying to them, it says, immediately they took action and decided to go to Macedonia. They didn't form a committee. They didn't say, well, you know what, guys? We need, you know what we need here? We need an interpreting vision committee. That's what we need. So we know about this vision. We need to try to decide what, what's meant by this vision. And then we need to take months to make a decision. And, and, and we need to come together and we need to discern by this committee if, if this is the right thing to do and we'll cast lots and see what's supposed to happen. No! They discerned this was from God together and they immediately went down and bought their boat passes. Now let me be clear. God can certainly speak through visions today. Though I would say that's not the normal practice and we would, we would need to be very careful. What I want us to understand is that we need to discern when the Spirit is directing. We need to verify it's from Him and one of the easiest ways to do this is to verify is this biblical direction or not. So we go to the Word of God and we say, is this biblical direction? In other words, the Spirit is not going to lead you into sinful practice. You can't say, well, the Holy Spirit was leading me to, to divorce my wife or the Holy Spirit was leading me to go over here and do this sinful practice. The Holy Spirit never leads you in sin. So when we are feeling led or pulled in direction, we need to discern whether it's from the Holy Spirit or not. And when we discern that it is from the Holy Spirit, we need to immediately obey it. Paul could have just ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You ever done that in your life? You, you know you're supposed to do something and you just ignore it. Paul could have done that. He could have said, I'm going to Asia anyway. Because that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. But he desired to be obedient. And he waited for the Holy Spirit to guide. And when the Spirit revealed where to go, he discerned it and he obeyed and they went. And he changed the world. Lastly, this morning. <clears throat> lastly, the Holy Spirit gives us what we need to help others. The gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need to help others. The gospel. Paul saw the vision of a man from Macedonia crying out, come over and help us. And what did they conclude? That God had called them to preach the gospel to them. Listen, church, those who do not have the gospel stand in the greatest need of help. And we must be willing to go to them and preach the word of Jesus Christ. Church, may we understand that there's men and women, boys and girls that are wandering this earth, blinded to the things of Christ. 
Doesn't your heart ache for those who do not know him? Don't we want the blind to see? We must send the gospel far and wide. We must let the lost hear the gospel of Christ. Oh, that we would feel the weight of conviction and knowing that the road that leads to hell, according to scripture, is broad and there are many that find it. That we would preach the gospel to rescue the perishing. Do you hear the cry? Come over and help us by preaching the gospel. Church people are crying out, to hear the gospel. And perhaps you'd say. Well I don't hear them. And my response would be. Sometimes silence is the loudest form of speech. Church and nations cry out. Come and help us. If you saw someone on the street. Sick and dying. And they could not speak. But you knew they were dying. Would you help them? Even if you saw someone sick and dying on the street and they could not speak and yet if you tried to help them, they tried to refuse your help. If you knew that they were near death, you would fight them and you, and, and you would willingly give all that you have so that you might, so that that person might live. Church. Nations are dead in their sin. How can they cry out to you? But do you not see them in their misery? Do you not see the poor and the needy? And even though they might reject the gospel, why does that matter? Their rejection is merely a symptom of the disease. Let us carry the gospel to the nations. Oh, Christians in the United States of America where we reside, we are highly favored. We know the name of Jesus. We have churches on every corner, but we go and preach the gospel never to the nations because we hoard it to ourselves. Their skin may be a different color than ours. Their culture may be different than ours. The food they ate may be different than the food that we eat. They may never even get to try the things that we have. They may be different in every way than us, but they cry out, come and help us. Salvation has come to us. Not so that we would hoard it, church. Salvation has come that we would take salvation to the nations. That others would know Jesus. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say you're the light of the United States of America. He doesn't say that you're the light of yourself. He doesn't say that you're the light of the state of Illinois. But he says you are the light of the world. We haven't received the light to keep it to ourselves. But we received the light to take it into the world. And you can, you can take it. Can you hear their cry? Come and help us. Church, we're soldiers of the cross. <laughs> In a world that is dark. We are warriors and our master has called us into action. The battle is raging and it seems like everyone is ready to fight in the battle today. Except the church of Christ. Now's the time to fight. Now's the time for valor. Now's the time to make good on the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. If we're not willing as followers of Christ to share the gospel. I'm not sure that we're really followers of Christ. We must desire to see others saved. For the blood of Christianity is not in our veins. Only if as followers of Christ, we were hot and burning with the gospel of Jesus instead of lukewarm shams of this degenerate age. The gospel 
would go forth. And a great awakening would come about like we've never seen ever. If everyone that claimed to be a Christian were actually a Christian, the whole known world would have heard the gospel by now. But you know what? It's not going to happen. Because we continue to do things like we've always done them. We are so afraid of being radical for Christ that we just stay trapped in our dull and boring lives. And we're satisfied in our apathetic Christianity. And we'll give a few dollars here and a few dollars there to missions or evangelism. And we think we've done our duty as a Christian. We will give to our church offering knowing some of that money surely goes to support the cooperative program. And we'll think we've done a great thing. Never mind the fact that many of us have never truly given out of abundance of the Lord that has given to us. Many of us have no clue what it's like to actually give to fully support a missionary endeavor. And I am certain that many people, maybe even some right here in our church, have too much money to go to heaven with. You say, oh man, now you start meddling. Good. Even more, it should be a scary thing to die with a great deal of money in our pocket when we're surrounded by such great need. If only we had grasped the love of God. As tightly as we grasp our pocketbook. If only we would see the condemned that we're surrounded with that are going to hell. And we'd ask ourselves, what is money? When people are dying, what is money? As much as I need, I have. As much as I use it for his glory to advance his kingdom. What good is our money if you won't use it to advance the kingdom of God? If you won't use it to send a missionary? If you won't use it to take a pastor and send them somewhere? If you won't use your money so that the nations would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you hear them cry, church? Come and help. Will you respond? Is there one person who will respond to the cry? Is there one person in our church who would say, I hear the cry? Is there someone who would say, I will give more? Is there someone who would say, I will go? Is there someone who will respond? They cry out, oh, come and help. I pray. I pray that there would be someone. Someone in our church that would respond. I pray that there would be someone who would say, I will go. I will give. Church, if you were walking down the street and you heard someone cry, help me. Help me. Would you help? The lost need our help. And you and I, we have the greatest answer. Do you hear their cry? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you doing things out of routine and by your own power or by the power of the Holy Spirit? This morning I would ask, I would ask that you respond. You can do it in your pew. You can come forward. It doesn't matter to me, but this morning I would ask that you search your heart I'd ask that, do you hear the cry? Will you help? Will you help? So I don't know how to help. You can certainly give more and you can certainly go. You say, well, where, where can I go? In July, I'm taking a trip to Haiti. You can go with me.
You say, Pastor, I want to go. I want to go. I'll take you with me. Will you give? Will you go? It doesn't go to the grave with you, church. You say, well, I want to leave something to my kids. Just give it to them now then. Will you go? You may be here this morning. And you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to you this morning, I proclaim the gospel. And I say to you, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believes not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I know that your bulletin says that we're going to do communion right now, but I want to give you a chance to respond before we go into communion this morning. So we're going to sing a song in just a moment. I'm going to stand down front. And maybe you just need to do business with the Lord in your pew. That's fine. Maybe you need to do business before you even take communion this morning. And I'd ask that you do that. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you just need to say, Pastor, I'm, I'm with you. I'll go. I'll give more. I don't know. However the Lord's spoken to you. Will you go? Will you give? Are you operating by the directing of the Holy Spirit? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you seeking first your own kingdom? I'll be standing down front. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. If you need to respond, I want you to know I'll be down there. Let's pray.